Hi, I'm Isok Kwonga. And I'm Ryan Hun. And we co-host Stadio, a football podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. If you like soccer or football, make sure you search for Stadio, a football podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's Feud, Capote versus the Swans. The second installment in Ryan Murphy's Feud anthology tells the story of acclaimed writer Truman Capote, once a confidant to society's most elite women, whom he nicknamed the Swans. Starring Naomi Watts, Diane Lane, Chloe Sevigny, Callista Flockhart, Demi Moore, Molly Ringwald, and Tom Hollander. For your Emmy consideration, visit fxnetworks.com FYC. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. It is Monday, May 15th. It was a Thanksgiving week surprise to cap a wild year in Hollywood. Bob Iger, the former celebrated CEO of Disney, was returning as CEO of Disney. Iger 2.0, the return of one of the great media leaders of all time. But the Disney that Iger returned to was not the one he had left a year earlier. The streaming video business is super challenged. The spending on all that Disney Plus content was out of control, a strategy that Iger himself put in place, by the way. Nobody seemed to know what to do with Hulu, which Comcast still owns a third of. And activist investors and the governor of Florida were sniping at the company. So now it's been six months this week since he started. And Iger has been pretty busy in the job. He reversed the big reorganization of the company that happened under his predecessor, Bob Chapek, with his own reorg. He went nuclear on Ron DeSantis in Florida. And just this past week, Iger seemed to signal his plans for Hulu, saying he's bullish on keeping the service and its general entertainment offering, which was sort of an about face from his more skeptical stance in February. He wants to integrate it into Disney Plus now. That comes with a potentially big price tag, one of a bunch of tough financial decisions that Iger is facing and the first of what he promised would only be a two-year return tenure. So today, we've got Lucas Shaw in here from Bloomberg, and it's a Bob Iger six-month report card. What's working at Disney, what's not, and how we think he's doing overall. From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Lucas Shaw, our Monday guy, and I remember where I was, Lucas. I'm sure you do as well. And now here we are six months later. Iger has done a lot, actually. I feel like he's kind of, it's been a constant stream of news from Disney on a bunch of topics. So we're going to go through them. And I don't want to give grades, but we're going to evaluate. You and I are the professors here. So let's look at the biggest thing that Iger has done in his return to Disney. And I, I would argue the biggest thing so far has been probably the least sexy of his decisions. And it has to do with the complete reorg, the unraveling of the Bob Chapek decisions to center all of the content distribution in one group, this DMED group, and take the decision-making away from the creative executives. Iger completely undid that. And he... It, it's sort of intertwined with the layoffs because in doing that, he laid off a bunch of the people that uh, were put in those roles. He fired Chapex number two, Kareem Daniel, and a bunch of the people that were in those roles. Um, 
How do you think the reorg has gone so far? If I were an employee, I'd feel pretty unsettled, to be honest. I mean, look, it's, the reorg is tied in with, with layoffs. He changed or overhauled everybody who was responsible for their streaming services, especially uh, Disney+, and sort of made this announcement a long time ago or, or several months ago about all these job cuts and then kind of rolled them out over the course of the year and they're still not done. And so I think for all the people at the company, there's been this sort of like looming sense of dread of, you know, basically, will I have a job in four months? Um, now, setting aside how unpleasant I or and how kind of, uh, well, yeah, how unpleasant it's been for a lot of the employees at the company, um, I do think a lot of them are relieved or happy that some of the decision-making has gone back to the creative people because what Bob Chapek had done was basically tell the creative people, okay, you make the stuff, but my guys are going to decide how and when we release it and, and, uh, and a lot of the marketing as well. Yeah. And, that, and, the, and Iger's initial decisions on those fronts went over very well with the creative side of the business. And if you believe that Disney is a creative company and that its success or failure will be judged by its creative output, then you got to agree with that decision. Like I said, I think people are, are, are fine or even happy that folks like Dana Walden and Jamie Pitaro and Alan Bergman uh, have more power than they did six to 12 months ago. But between firing people and overhauling the strategy, I mean, Iger has attempted to do a lot in a very short period of time. He seems to have made a bunch of other decisions that we'll get into. Um, and so I think it's just been a pretty destabilizing period for people who work there. You know, I've talked to to producers and, and agents who do business there, and they'll say, you know, I have this show that was there, and like every person working on the show, from like the CE level, or maybe, or I should say, from like a certain level in the the distribution org, basically up to the CEO, has left since we started working on the show. Um, that's pretty crazy. Yeah, there's a hilarious. I've mentioned this before, but there's a hilarious Hollywood Reporter cover that we did when Disney Plus launched. And it was Iger in the center and all of these executives around him that were the key executives for Disney Plus. And it was like Kevin Mayer and Ricky Strauss and Agnes Chu. And like one by one, all of these executives except Iger are now gone. Yeah. So, but you know, listen, I, I think that a lot of the decisions of the Chapek era, like putting the Pixar movies on Disney Plus, like doing the premium access at home screenings during the pandemic, I think Iger has circled the wagons on that. Unclear whether Chapek would have done the same had he been allowed to make those decisions post pandemic. But the creative wing of the company applauds those decisions and likes the fact that, you know, the Pixar movies are getting theatrical releases now and they are having a robust theatrical window for these movies. I think that, that, that bought Iger a lot of credibility internally. I mean, a lot of these media companies or ex employees at these media companies are happy uh, to basically feel like they're working at an entertainment company again. I mean, different company, but I remember going when Warner brothers discovery uh, had sort of their on day for unveiling Max, the 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 artist formerly known as HBO Max, and soon I was just to be like, formally known, soon to be formally known. And I was yeah. sitting, and I just overheard a couple of people talking behind me, and one of them was talking about 
how nice it was to feel like they were working at a media company again and not a tech company because they always felt out of place under Jason Kylar that he felt they felt like they were working at a tech place, which is not what Warner Brothers was. And I think to some extent, people at Disney felt that way when Chapek came in and started giving all the power uh, sort of to, to, to his people who did not have the entertainment and programming background, um, or at least not, not the same as, uh, as people wanted. Well, the jury's out, though, on whether these companies should be media companies or tech companies, though. Yeah, totally. Because well, you could make I mean, the argument that, you know, the Iger tenure so far has been defined by a return to a traditionalist approach to media, where you're looking at business models that have been in place for the past 30, 40 years, and that he is not leaning as much into the future as he should be leaning. And, you know, that's something that I think we can't evaluate at this point. It's too early. But the one thing we can evaluate is the cost cutting. I mean, Iger has relentlessly cut costs since he joined the company. And you mentioned the 7,000 layoffs just this past week on the earnings call. The CFO, Christine McCarthy, uh, specifically said, we are going to be making less content, less volume. They haven't had a Marvel show this year, and we're in May. They clearly are cutting back on a lot of the content stuff that they're doing. And they're hoping that the profitability will improve at the streaming services. They cut the losses this quarter. And that's one of the only things that the Wall Street community liked about their earnings this past quarter was that they reduced the streaming loss. And one of the reasons Chapek got fired was that gigantic $1.5 billion loss in streaming in a quarter. So the cost-cutting that Iger has done seems to be um, very tailored towards reversing this narrative on Wall Street. And yet, after the earnings this past week, we saw the stock take a nosedive, down 8 9%. So is that working? Not if you ask investors. I mean, it... You, you look at the results and yes, okay, the streaming losses were better, right? I think they were like 600 million as opposed to people thought it was going to be worse than that and, and certainly lower than it had been at the end of last year. But he doesn't really have another card to play to get people excited to me is the problem, right? It's like linear TV revenue was down a, a bunch. The, the profits at, at linear TV were down like 30 plus percent. That's a crazy number. Yeah, it's it's a disaster at this point. And the parks are, very, are, are holding up very strong, but it's not, that's just sort of like that, the parks sort of are what they are unless they open up a, a, a couple of other big, um, big places or big venues, which take a bunch of time. It's just going to grow basically through raising prices and maybe finding some like fun other things to charge for people at parks. Well, in the general but, economy as well. Yeah. When the economy is okay and I mean, listen, people came out of a pandemic where they weren't allowed to go to Disney World for two years. So shocker, everyone's going to Disney World. When Iger took over the company now almost 20 years ago, he was taking over at sort of early to middle of the cable boom, right? He, he could just ride ESPN up to the top for all the credit he got for buying Pixar and buying Marvel and buying Lucasfilm, which, which were huge, probably the single most influential or most important factor in his success, at least for the first sort of like 10 years as being CEO was the fact that ESPN just printed money. Yeah. It enabled all the stuff that he did. Now it's not, you know, it's not clear where he or the company goes. It's, it's something I've, I've sort of said, I've, I've felt strongly with a lot of these 
a lot of these CEOs who've come in and cut costs and all that stuff. Same with Zaslav. It's like, okay, cutting costs is great, but like, what is the strategy for growth? Because that's what's going to get investors excited about it. And cutting costs sort of is, is if anything, it's going to hurt growth at your streaming services, which is the only part of your business, at least from a, you know, outside of theme parks, it's growing. Well, and raising prices. That's the and other lever prices, they can pull. Which they, which they did last year, and they're clearly going to do it again in the future. But as Netflix has shown, there's sort of a ceiling on that, right? So they've probably got another, I don't know, two to four dollars they can charge. It depends a little bit on whether they on on how exactly the merger of Disney Plus and Hulu works. Yeah, that gets to that other category of things Iger has done. It's the Hulu question. We finally got an answer this past week, or a, a quasi answer on whether he actually cares about Hulu and cares about adult-oriented entertainment. He says that he does. We don't know whether that's uh, a true belief or whether he just simply tried to sell Hulu and found no buyers for it. But at least on the earnings call, he said that they feel like this is a good combination, putting the Hulu app within the Disney Plus app, or at least integrating the content and upcharging people who want to watch the Hulu content. Uh, we'll see how that plays out in the user interface. They say they're launching by the end of the year. But that's at least a quasi-decision here. He has decided that Hulu has a future at this company and that they are likely going to buy out Comcast third interest, probably for about $9 billion. That's not cheap. And that it's coming at a time when... The rest of the streaming business is under incredible pressure to reduce costs and focus on free, free cash flow and not overspend. And here you've got a $9 billion expenditure coming down the pike. I feel so stupid on this Hulu one, I have to say, because when Iger first came back and people were sort of asking questions about Hulu, it seemed so obvious that they would keep it. It just didn't make any sense to sell it given how much it had been integrated into the company. But then there were just all these people around Disney and around Iger and around Comcast like fanning the flames of, uh, I don't know, of, of confusion or uncertainty as to whether or not he would actually sell it. And for like a hot second, it convinced me it was possible that he would. And I suppose that there is some like advanced parlor, like strategy game where he's now signaled all of this to, to end up selling it. But, you know, I was talking with someone recently who, who made a good point, which was that all of the back end for Hulu has sort of like been fully integrated into the, the Disney system for the most part. You know, they're using a lot of the same tech. That would be very messy to unwind. Um, it just, you know, it, I, 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 I sort of can't believe I thought he was going to sell it. Yeah, I was gonna say you. So you think you, you feel stupid because you gave that theory credence? I I didn't. I never thought he would sell it per se, but I I think it's all a matter of price. You know, if he could have found someone who, to come in and say, you know, private equity group X is willing to pay ten billion dollars for this asset, I think there is a scenario in which they would have let it go if they could claw back a lot of that content and simply integrate it into Disney Plus like it is around the world without having the Hulu infrastructure. Maybe there was a scenario to do that, but this is certainly the easier strategy to just stay the course and figure out how Hulu best integrates in a bundle within Disney Plus. Um, they haven't even addressed the ESPN Plus element of this because presumably if you're integrating Hulu into Disney Plus. At some point, you will also integrate ESPN Plus into one 
Super Disney app and allow people to subscribe for whatever the price is to get the full Disney bundle within one app. But we haven't gone there yet. And, you know, I just think that that Comcast probably wasn't interested in paying that. And now Iger's kind of it's plan B and he's doing it. Yeah, I don't think there was really another another buyer for it besides Comcast, which is another reason. Do you think that they just do a straight a straight transaction or do you think that there's some kind of trade? What do you mean? Like does Disney does Disney just pay Comcast the 9 billion dollars or do they work out some arrangement where that that price effectively goes down cuz Comcast gives it some programming? Oh yeah. Or- yeah, I think there's that's probably what they're talking about now. I like this idea of Comcast giving Disney the Marvel theme park rights east of the Mississippi which Comcast owns. If you look at the Florida parks, there is a Spider-Man ride and there's a lot of Marvel stuff in the Universal parks in Florida. And they could swap those rights to Disney as part of a transaction involving Hulu. Wouldn't that increase the price though? It might, but... Because wouldn't Disney have to, wouldn't Disney have to pay even more for those? Maybe, but there's other assets that Disney could throw in that maybe Comcast would like. Disney's actually just, this is where you break the news that Disney is going to give Comcast Pixar. Comcast doesn't need Pixar, <laughs> to be honest. Comcast is doing just fine in animation. They have Illumination, which makes blockbuster hits for half the price that the Pixar movies cost. I don't think Comcast would take yeah. Pixar at this point. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. All right, so let's move on to the next Iger topic, which is the activists. I I feel like this is a win for him over the first six months. He had these guys who were screwing around with Bob Chapek before, and he comes into the chair and he one by one goes through Nelson Peltz, the activist investor. He fires Ike Perlmutter, the Marvel guy, and uh, basically says it's a layoff, but we know it's because Ike was in cahoots with Nelson Peltz. Um, he's got the Florida stuff with Ron DeSantis that he also inherited, but he's taken a very aggressive tack on that. He sued Florida before Florida could sue Disney. And he seems to get a lot of 
positive attention for the Florida stance. And we'll see ultimately whether the litigation strategy is successful. But it seems like the activist slash Florida stuff, I'll call it the Florida nemesis problem. Those are going okay. Yeah. Everything that is not um, the sort of like core Disney business. <laughs> Everything that doesn't have anything to do with the business. <laughs> is going, re- he's handling well, right? Well, in his in his defense, when he had uh, an activist investor, it's obviously material to, to your business. And the DeSantis threats threaten to really undermine their operation and, and the future of their theme parks in Florida. And so dealing with those two sort of more more political issues, if you will, he's done very well, right? He dispatched the activists in the matter of a couple of months, and he seems to be winning his war or his his dispute with DeSantis. Um, and that has, has, has taken a bunch of his attention, and yet it has not impeded him from rolling out these other changes to the company. So I do give him credit for managing so many different things at the same time. And the 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 investor... Uh, the investors in DeSantis, he has he has effectively neutralized. So let's go to the overall Iger tenure, Iger 2.0. And a theory here that, listen, the, these media companies are in a moment right now where they are all chasing the Shangri-La of streaming video success. And we know that only a couple companies are going to get there. We've discussed this on the show in the past. Most people presumed Disney would be one of those companies. And I think there's real question now, just given the turn in this business and the fact that subscribers are not growing. I mean, Disney lost subscribers at their streaming services last quarter. And a lot of that was from India. They gave up the cricket rights and those are low value subscribers, but they're also losing customers in the US. and. This is not the growth business that many thought streaming would be. They believe that the advertising tiers of these services will make up for that. And I think part of the decision to combine Disney Plus and Hulu is to help that ad business because Hulu is a pretty significant advertising business. It's just been around for 15 years and has that ad business already into it. They hope that that will help Disney Plus if they are integrated. But it's not a given that this stuff is going to happen for Disney, that it will be a long-term player in the global streaming business. We're seeing Iger also take content off Disney Plus to try to sell it elsewhere to make money on it, which is the Zaslav strategy, not going all in. And I've talked to a couple people now who say, like, this transition, this Chapek to Iger transition, it may have set Disney back a little bit, meaning the, the just transitioning over to a new CEO and having him implement his team and his strategy at such a key moment for the company that it may have hurt Disney in its effort to get to the other side, to the Shangri-La of streaming success. What do you think about that? I couldn't tell if you were setting that up to... to- Go for the is Disney going to sell to Apple speculation? That well, we oh, we can back. get into that. I mean, I I <laughs> I don't think that's real. I I for a number of reasons. We may we can get into the question of whether Disney whether Iger's ultimate decision with Disney is that he needs to sell it to save it. That that is a worst case scenario. If we get, keep going down this path and streaming 
clearly becomes a, a, a bad business that they don't know how to fix. And the cable bundle declines further to the point where they start to get into a real cash crunch here. And then what is the company? Then you start thinking about how to sell it. Maybe not to Apple, but maybe to some other company. There's only a few that could even afford Disney. But I don't think... You you brought up earlier the like you compared him to Zaslav and taking the content off is betraying some strategy. I I thought it was always strange that none of the that these these services tried to bring everything back within their walls. I mean, I I guess I understood that they were tired of Netflix sort of using their 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 biggest products against them. But now that they've been in it for a little while, they can look around and see, okay, like people aren't maybe aren't spending a bunch of time watching this old ABC show on Disney Plus or Hulu. And if someone else wants to pay us some money to syndicate it, that's just that's just pure profit that we can book. And why wouldn't we do that? Yeah, that makes sense. But I think when you do that, you then say, okay, we're okay if the growth in subscriber numbers is not as robust as maybe we once thought. And if that's happening in the market anyways, then it makes sense to make as much money on this stuff. I mean, Disney is famous for its windowing strategies with its content. I mean, going all the way back to the vault where, you know, these movies would come out in theaters every seven years and then disappear because there would be a new generation of kids that would go watch the Disney movies in theaters. This is just a version of that. It's just applying it to Disney Plus saying, okay, we're going to withhold all the Spider-Man movies are on Disney Plus right now, but maybe they go away for a little while and we sell them overseas. We sell them elsewhere and then they come back and everyone gets excited about it. It's not that unusual, but I, I do think that it's a shift. This is not what Disney oh, was totally. doing two years ago. There is, there's, a, there's just been a recognition that, that the, 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 the slowdown in growth and streaming is very severe. I'm curious to that end. Do you, what are the odds that now that all these services aren't really growing of honest to goodness bundles? Bundles of services? Like I can pay for Netflix and Disney Plus and HBO. Oh, Max. we're not there yet. I, I think it's going to have to get more desperate for these companies to do it. First of all, what's the Netflix incentive to do that? They're making money on their service. Yeah, there's, there pretty much isn't. Yeah, I, I think it would have to be amongst the other companies. And like, I don't think Disney wants to do a bundle with Peacock yet. Maybe Amazon would make it worthwhile for all these companies to come into a bundle where they get subsidized by the Amazon, you know, uh, other businesses, or maybe Apple will do that because they want to become the first interface platform when you go into your smart TV and, you know, you can get all your services there. But I don't think we're there yet. Bundling will eventually happen, but I think you'll see it within companies first, like what Disney's doing with their services and bundling yeah. it together. So give me a, give me your grade. Don't I don't want to do A through F. You just but like, started off by saying I know, you didn't I know, have to do give, grades. Give me okay. Listen, I want something like my my first grade kids report card where they don't give grades, but they say you know doing great needs improvement, you know that kind of thing. Does he get a needs to improve? Does he get a doing great stay the course? Is this like an NBA team and we just blow the whole thing up? He's no, he's got work to do basically, like. He he took care of two. Well, he took care of one very pressing issue that w ended up having to be a top priority, which was getting rid of an activist investor. He has done his best to neutralize uh, a political agitator in Ron DeSantis, and he's in the process of restructuring the company and cutting costs to please Wall Street. But it's very evident after the his the first two reports 
uh, since or earnings report since he took over that the results of the company are not satisfying investors right now. The you know the the stock price just got crushed last week, um, and so I think he's still searching for sort of what is his vision. You know, I think Iger's first earnings report, and I, we we talked about these earnings reports because those calls are sort of when the those calls plus then like these investor conferences are where CEOs can come and sort of present their vision and their views to the community. And the first one that he did, he just like threw a shit ton of stuff at people. We're doing, you know, all these different changes that they were announcing. This time he sort of, he's he's like honing that pitch a little bit. You know, he 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 taught, he threw out the idea of getting rid of Hulu. Now he's saying, I see how it fits into what we're doing. I feel like we're like another three months away to six months away from him actually knowing what he's doing, or I should say being willing to communicate to people what he's trying to accomplish. Yeah, he hasn't figured it out. He has not figured out streaming. And he's not alone. None of these companies really has, except for Netflix. But he hasn't figured out the answer in streaming. And we don't know if that business will ever be what the cable bundle was. And that's, that's an existential question for Disney. And we will see what happens in the next year or so with Iger. All right, Lucas, thank you. Thanks, Matt. All right, we're back with the call sheet. Craig, did you happen to see Hypnotic this weekend? I missed it somehow, but uh, maybe next weekend. <laughs> you missed it. You you did. Did you know it was coming? I out? I knew it was coming out. It was a I, big Ben Affleck movie. Uh, it was Ben Affleck's lowest wide opener of all time. Grossed two point four million dollars on more than two thousand screens. Not great. No, it, it just it looks like a movie that's. Uh, I don't know, that came out 15 years too late. It looks like a, a Kiefer Sutherland film from like 2004. I don't know, maybe it's good. It did. It looked like that string of movies that Ben made in like the late 90s, <laughs> early 2000s, like the kind of Geely-esque. Uh, it's actually, my prediction today is that it will not be his lowest grocer of all time. That honor, I think, is going to go to a 1998 movie called Phantoms. <laughs> which opened to $3 million, so more than this, and especially a lot more if you adjust for inflation. But it only got to $5.6 million total. Um, I actually think that this movie, Hypnotic, will get to $5.6 million domestic, but it's going to have an overseas premiere as well. They're actually showing it at the Cannes Film Festival, of all places. Oh, wow. uh, Robert, Robert Rodriguez directed it, so it's, you know, it's got a pedigree here, which makes it all the more... Surprising, cost $65 million. Like, I don't understand how this movie got made, but uh, the studio that made it went under. It, you know, we partnered with this other studio, Studio 8, that um, has had its own issues. So this movie had a very troubled path to the screen, and Ben did no press for it. I love that he was at J-Lo's Netflix premiere, but didn't promote his own movie. Yeah, the same week. He went to her premiere for Mother, which was a Netflix movie, which probably did very well this weekend. Mm -hmm. And obviously, he had Air a couple months ago that uh, did okay in theaters, even though it cost a lot of money. Uh, did about 80-something million total in theaters. But that was on Amazon this weekend. So if you wanted to watch a Ben Affleck movie, you could watch Air on Amazon Prime, or you could watch J-Lo on Netflix, or you could pay money to see a poorly reviewed non-marketed Ben Affleck movie called Hypnotic. And shockingly, people chose not to do that. Do you think J-Lo and Ben will ever do a movie together again? Yeah. She seems to be very involved 
in his career. Like she pops up in his media appearances and they seem to kind of be in a groove and promoting each other's work. So I could see them working together again. This movie actually did worse than Geely. If you adjust for inflation, that movie ended up making $6.3 million in its opening. It opened to 3.8 in 2003. So 20 years ago, uh, and Geely became like a punchline for Ben Affleck's kind of off the rails movie career. Uh, I think this one will now be talking about hypnotic for a long time. All right, that is the show. I want to thank my guest, Lucas Shaw. I want to thank producer Craig Horlbeck. And I want to thank you. We will see you later this week. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.